Shabbos, Perak Aleph, Mishnah Gimel, 1-3. Back to the topic of Hotzah, and here we have the Durabanim, which says, Lo the tailor may not go out, b'machato, with his needle. According to the Bartanora, it means the needle is a tachuv, it's, it's um, inserted into his clothing. Samach when it's close to getting dark on Friday afternoon, Shema yishkach because we're afraid perhaps he'll forget that that needle was inserted into his clothing, and he'll go out on Shabbos proper, and he might do the Malacha Doraisa of Hotza. And similarly, Veloha Lavlar, a scribe may not go out, Bukul Maso, with his quill stuck behind his ear. Again, he could forget, and the next thing you know, he'll do Hotza. Therefore, on Friday afternoon, these should not go out in that way. According to the Bartanor, we're talking specifically about a Chayat with a needle, and with a, a, a scribe for the quill, and the reason is because those men who are carrying the needle in the clothing and the quill behind the ear, um, it's normal for them to carry in that way, says Rabbi Yehuda, and that's the Bartanur is going like here, and therefore they would be over the Isidoraisa of carrying a needle in their clothing because that's normal for a tailor, or a quill behind the ear, which is normal for a scribe. But a regular person, let's say, for example, a tailor with a quill behind his ear, or a scribe with a needle in his shirt, who would go out on Shabbos like that, would not be liable for Chilu Shabbos Mendo Oraisa, because that's called Mishuna, it's a Shinui, it's, it's not doing the Malach in the normal way, the normal way for a regular person to carry needles in his hand, not in his shirt, the regular way for a person to carry a quill is in his hand, not behind his ear, and that being the case, it would not fulfill the requirements of Malach Smashevis, and it wouldn't be an Isra Doraisa of Chilu Shabbos, and therefore a person wouldn't be high of the Chathas, etc., that being the case, according to the Bartanura, our Mishnah is specifically restricting the tailor, but a regular person is not forbidden to go out with a needle in his shirt and the, or with a quill behind his ear, because even if he would forget it was there, he wouldn't be over the Duraisa. So then we're just would be making a Durabanan against a Durabanan. And the principle is that we are not making gazeras on gazeras, we're not making rabbanans on rabbanans, and therefore it's specific, peculiar to a person who's carrying the, that utensil in a way that's normal for his profession. Now, Rabbi Meir disagrees with that in the Gemara, and he holds that even a tailor is not um, the normal way for him to carry the needle is in his hand, and it's even a shuni for him to have in his shirt. It's maybe more frequent than regular people to carry it in your shirt. And same goes for the scribe. He Scribes may more frequently than other people put quills behind their ears, but a scribe carries his quill in his hand, not behind his ear. And that being the case, even the chayat and the lavlar would only be high of midoraisa if they're carrying their utensil in their hand. And that being the case, here when we say chayat, according to Rav Meir, we don't mean specifically a tailor. And when we say lavlar, we mean specifically a scribe. Those are just examples of normal people who are carrying needles and and, uh, and quills. But everybody, specialist and non-specialist alike, are forbidden from carrying this utensil in their hands on Erev Shabbos, close to sundown, lest they forget they're holding it and come to carry it on Shabbos. And that's how the Mechaber Paz comes in the Shulchan Aruch, um, that it's a person, any person, not just a chayat, but a dafk in his hand, not in his shirt. Okay. The mission continues on now with a new topic here. We're talking about more Durabanans that are protective fences. Here we say, Velo yifale es kelav, velo yikara. A person may not delouse his clothing, nor may he um, read, like a scroll, a book, you know. Laor haner, by the light of a candle. Now, 
when I say candle, remember how the oil lamps looked in the time of the Mishnah. Every picture of Hanukkah depicts it. Um, it's like a little, kind of like a, almost like a bowl, a pointy bowl, if you will, um, with the oil, um, oil source, and then it's like a wick coming out the, the tip. So those kinds of, of lamps, they are prone to sputter, um, and therefore the way you sort of resolve the sputtering and the light not being strong is by tipping the lamp. By tipping the lamp, the oil pools again, and by pulling the oil, it'll draw into the wick properly, and the wick will burn nice and bright. So the fear is that what was normal was that whenever your lamp started to die down or started to sputter, you would, without thinking, you would just tip the lamp, pull the oil, and then the candlelight would be bright again and and, uh, sufficient. So the concern was that these activities, delousing and reading, um, require proper lighting, and since a person would almost, you know, reflexively shemayate, he might come to tip the oil lamp, we're afraid that he'll do it without even thinking, and he'll be over the Isidorais of Mavir, of kindling a flame, because he's feeding oil into the fire, and burning it to make it go faster is the Isidorais. And therefore we have a Dindarabana, which says you shouldn't um, delouse or read by candlelight, lest a person, in a, without thinking, come and tip that lamp. Um, by the way, says the Bartanura, based on the Gemara, that, that applies even if you have the lamp far of, out of reach, like, say, in the second story of the house. It doesn't matter. Um, it only would matter if a person, either A, was reading with a second person, meaning each person could be, show Mary could watch out for the other person to make sure that they don't accidentally tip that lamp without thinking about it, or at least according to the Gemara and the Bartonara speaks it out, there was such a thing as a person who was uh, so chashuv, he was an Adam chashuv, he was such a person of importance and, and stature that he would never deign to touch a filthy, grimy, oily, blackened lamp. The concern was that since he, and since he would never touch it, so therefore we're not afraid that he would ever... Um, come to, without thinking, tip the lamp. So such a person would not have this restriction, says says the uh, says the Gemara, and that's what the Bar brings. The Mishnah continues, Be'emes Amro, which literally means, in truth they said, but it means that what we're now talking about is either Halach al-Moshim Sinai, or something which is so incontrovertible that it's might as well have been a Halach al-Moshim Sinai. Ha-Chazan, the person, Chazan is the Malamat Tinokos, he's the teacher of the students, um, the word chazan from the word chose to see, like the chose Lublin, for example, he oversees what the children are doing and where they're reading. He is permitted to roe heichan tinokos korin. He is allowed to oversee and show the children where they're supposed to be reading from. Uh, the word tinokos in modern Hebrew means like babies, but in the Mishnah means you know a child that's pre-bar mitzvah. lo yikra. Even though the children may read by the light of the candle because they have their Rebbe overseeing them, and certainly they're afraid of him, and therefore they won't come to touch the candle without permission. He himself may not read because he has no fear of them. He's not afraid that they will reprimand him or remind him if he touches the candle. A great Yushami, by the way. The Yushami says the reason why the children could read by candlelight is because, unlike an adult, they'll be very happy if the lights go out so they can stop learning and go home, and therefore they won't be encouraged or won't feel the need to tip the candle so they could fix the candlelight. The mission continues and says, Kiyotibo. Now, Kiyotibo means um, the same principle applies. Here, that idea is being taken um, quite loosely. We're referring to the same way in the previous line of the Mishnah 
we have the rabbis setting up certain protective fences, which are really, um, you know, keeping people at a, at a great distance from the possibility of doing an avera. Um, not even, you know, using, not even reading by candlelight, lest one come to kindle the flame by tipping the, the lamp, etc. So too, here we say, Lo yochel hazav im hazava we don't allow for a zav and a zava, a man and a woman, I'll explain in a second what those are, to eat together without some kind of harchaka separating their two, you know, either from the same bowl they may not, or from even from the same table without some kind of um, thing that divides between two of them, because they'll be accustomed to sin. The idea here is that the zava is a woman who, like Anida, is tamea, she, and she's it's forbidden to be intimate with her, and the zav is a man who has his own problem going on. He has some kind of um, emission. It's not a seminal emission, some other kind of emission coming out of him, leaking out of him, called zov, flowing out of him, and that makes him also tummy. Now, when you're a zav, the man is a zav, so intimacy is, uh, is, is painful or something for him and because of his illness and situation. And therefore, one might have thought that the zav and the zava could eat together, without any separation from the same bowl and so on, because A, there's no fear of Tuma spreading from Zava to Zava, vice versa, since they're both Tame. And second of all, um, although it's forbidden to be intimate with a Zava, he is a Zav who wouldn't be because of his situation. However, the mission here is saying that we don't let them eat together even in that scenario, because they'll be accustomed to eating together, um, and then in a subsequent time or year or whatever it might be, uh, the man would perhaps end up eating with his Zava wife, let's say when he's not a Zav, and then um, a Vera could happen. So therefore we see here, Kiyotabo, the rabbi set up a protective fence to make sure that that wouldn't happen.